Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll also visit with Jack Work. He is the executive director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. We'll be talking about tourism here on the Paradise Coast. It is October the 12th, and on this day in 1492, you guessed it, after sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, a tiny explorer, Christopher Columbus, uh, had saw the uh, Bahamian island, believing he had reached East Asia. His expedition went ashore the same day and claimed the land for Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain, who sponsored his attempt to find a Western Ocean route to China, India, and the fabled Golden, golden Spice Islands of Asia. On October the 3rd, 1492, Columbus set sail from Palos, Spain, with three ships, of course, the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria, the expedition reached land and probably Watling Island in the Bahamas. Later that month, Columbus sighted Cuba, which he thought was mainland China. And in December, the expedition landed on Hispaniola, which Columbus thought might be Japan. He established a small colony there with 39 of his men. The explorer returned to Spain with gold, spices, and Indian captives in March 1493 and was received with the highest honors by the Spanish court. He was the first European to explore the Americas since the Vikings set up colonies in Greenland and Newfoundland in the 10th century. During his lifetime, Columbus led a total of four expeditions to the quote-unquote New World, exploring various Caribbean islands, the Gulf of Mexico, and the South and Central American mainlands, but he never accomplished his original goal, a Western Ocean route to the great cities of Asia. Columbus died in Spain in 1506 without realizing the great scope of what he did and what he achieved. He had discovered for Europe the New World, whose riches over the next century would help make Spain the wealthiest and most powerful nation on Earth. Happy Columbus Day, or should I say, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. You know, we can thank the cancel, uh, cancel culture, hard for me to say, canceler, cancel culture movement for this one. And, and Happy Columbus Day. Well, the uh, Florida Department of Health Sunday uh, reported that there's 97 cases. Well, this is actually from Friday to uh Sunday, that's a total of about 33 a day. The state identified the newly verified deaths as followed a 92-year-old man and a 97-year-old woman. Now, what are the chances they didn't die of coronavirus? I think that's probably pretty high. The seven-day average of new cases here on the Paradise Coast is 45. And by the way, uh, hats off, kudos to the uh, North Fire Control and Rescue District, the five commissioners there are backing their passion for protecting the community with their paychecks. They're offering free COVID-19 antibody testing to anybody in the Paradise Coast. That, according to a Facebook post from the district, they each put up $500 each in order to provide testing for people in the area. So what's happening with the universities? Well, out of 70,000-plus positive reported COVID-19 cases at universities, there have been a total of three hospitalizations and zero deaths as of last week. Uh, 
So what this shows to me is that for the younger people, the COVID-19 is not a contagious, it's contagious, I should say, but it's not going to be threatening to the health of young people. Well, today is the day Judge Amy Coney Barrett's contentious confirmation process starts today and should deliver an opening statement. The full text of remarks have already been released. Senate Judiciary Committee members Senator Chris Coons said on Sunday that the uh, Senate moving to confirm President Trump's Supreme Court nominee constitutes court packing. I'm not kidding. He really said that. He called the nominee's view disqualifying. He made the comments during an interview with uh, Chris Wallace on Fox News on Fox News Sunday. Senator Ben Sasse of Nebraska also spoke with Wallace Sunday. He says, I'm going to be laying out the ways in which Judge Barrett's views are not just extreme. They're disqualifying, Coons said, of Democrat strategy for Barrett's hearing. It constitutes court packing. Now, court packing, of course, is a traditional definition is expanding the Supreme Court by law and then confirming justices to those seats. This is not what the Republicans are doing. This is a, a filling a naturally occurring va- vacancy. Sassy shot back that uh, Kuhn's definition of court packing was obviously incorrect and accused the Democrat of using Orwellian language. President Trump said he would only nominate someone who would overturn the Affordable Care Act, taking away health care protections from 100 million Americans in, a, in the middle of a pandemic, Kuhn said. Both uh, President Trump and members of the majority of the uh, committee have said they would only vote for a nominee who will overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what Kuhn's was saying. While Sassy, in response to accusations that Barrett might reach conservative outcomes like overturning either Roe v. Wade or uh, the other case, said Barrett is a judge who will put aside any personal preferences that she has to rule on the law. The reason I think Amy Barrett is a rock star and should be on the court is because she's very clear about her jurisprudence. Uh, she's an originalist and she's a textualist, Sassy said, which means when she puts on her black robe in the morning, she knows what it is to be a judge, and that is to cloak your personal preferences. He went on, Sassy went on, our judges don't wear red or blue jerseys, they don't advocate for policy positions, and we shouldn't be having either Democrats or Republicans on the committee trying to figure out how they can define the future or how they can rule in a particular case. So I don't know what she's going to go through. The committee, you know how badly uh, they performed with uh, Brett uh, Kavanaugh. So uh, I just hope she has the endurance and the ability to put up with the nonsense she's going to get from the Democrats on this subcommittee, the uh, judicial subcommittee. And by the way, Biden and Harris held an event in Phoenix, Arizona, yesterday, and no one showed up. And I mean no one. (laughs) <laughs> the press was there to cover it, and they were talking, and they said, well, there must have been a miscommunication. Maybe they didn't get the word out. Now, you know they got the word out. There was a car rally for Joe in Miami. Fifteen cars showed up. There were 30,000 cars that showed up for Trump. Meanwhile, President Trump was on Rush Limbaugh's show on Friday for two hours with about 50 million listeners. He appeared on Tucker Carlson's show on Friday, the Mark Levin show, or Levin show. And he'll be in uh, Sanford, Florida on Tuesday for his first live rally since recovering from COVID-19. And by the way, his doctors did say he's not contagious. Mike Pence was in the villages with 6,000 folks showing up in their golf carts. The support for uh, president is palpable. 
So where's the support for Joe? I see no enthusiasm for Joe Biden. I'm not uh, being critical. This is just what I see. And most folks don't like Kamala Harris. I see a few signs for him for uh, a few supporters. All these polls claiming a tight race seem to be bogus to me. Just another arm of the mainstream media, which is, of course, the arm of the Democrat Party as well. President uh, candidate Joe Biden slammed President Trump on Saturday for shutting down the economy. This is a move he himself said he would make if scientists recommended it. Speaking to reporters in Erie, Pennsylvania, Biden asked if he would support a nationwide shutdown. And he replied, no, look, he's the guy that shut it down, referring to Trump. I'm not kidding. He really said that. This guy is just, this is not a vote for Trump, in my opinion. It's a vote to save the country. I, I think uh, Joe Biden certainly is reading his teleprompters, and that's great. But I'm very concerned that he's just the straw man who's put up there to run as a uh not a conservative, but certainly as a moderate Democrat, but he's he's being filled with ideas that are coming from the left. And so this is really a battle, I think, not just between President Trump and Biden as two men, but it's a fight between uh, what is right for America, keeping America strong, and a fight for uh, trying to hijack the country and turn it into a socialist nation. You know, I'm voting for the First Amendment, freedom of speech. I'm voting for the Second Amendment, my right to defend my life and my family. I'm voting for the next Supreme Court justices to protect uh, the nation. I'm voting for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I'm voting for the continued growth of people's ability to re grow their retirement plans. I'm voting for the return of our troops from foreign countries and the end of Americans' involvement in foreign conflicts. And I'm voting for the Electoral College and the republic we live in. I'm voting for police to be respected once again and to endure, ensure law and order. And how about I'm voting for continued appointment of federal judges who respect the Constitution, I'm voting for jobs to remain in America and not be outsourced all over again to China, Mexico, and other foreign countries. I'm voting to secure the borders and legal immigration, and I'm voting for the military and veterans who fought for this country to give America its freedoms. I'm voting for unborn babies that have a right to live, and I'm voting for continued peace and progress in the Middle East. And I'm voting to fight against human child trafficking, and I'm voting for freedom of religion. I'm voting for the American flag that is disrespected by the Democrat Party, and I'm voting for the right to speak my opinion and not be censored. And I'm not just voting for one person. I'm voting for the future of the country, and I hope you are too. It's uh, really for our children, our grandchildren, their freedoms, and their future as well. So it's, again, it's not voting for Donald Trump. He certainly has his faults, his warts and pimples like all of us. Uh, he certainly gets antagonistic, and he f fights back when somebody criticizes him. I get all that. But he's really representing. He loves the country, and he's trying to continue uh, the good of America. The segment of the show brought to you by the uh, good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisser of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a wonderful new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Wirt. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a terrific multimedia website, great, great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, as usual, we're going to be talking about current world affairs, and I thought we could start off with North Korea starting to flex its muzzles with big parades. What's going on? Big parade, big missiles, clearly intercontinental missiles that can clearly hit the United States. As a matter of fact, some experts believe what they saw was a missile capable of carrying MIRV, which is multiple entry vehicles, which means that one, one missile with multiple warheads something to make it very difficult, or more difficult to intercept, let's put it that way. So we can say that four years later, um, North Korea has gone forward, built up its missiles, uh, been building nuclear weapons for the last four years, um, and we have to accept the fact that we failed into nuclear power. I don't see any way around this. uh, Complete failure in terms of, you know, uh, President Trump joins Presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama in failing to rein in the North Korean nuclear program. I mean, what's to say that so, this missile that that they're displaying isn't a, just a big piece of cardboard? I mean, what's the what's the source of the legitimacy? Well, because we, we have we, we have we have independent intelligence that they were building these things. 
Yeah. And we've seen them, you know, shoot these things off. Maybe not this one, but we've seen others that are nearly as capable. So there's no reason to expect that they haven't built this as well. I mean, it's always possible they're trying to fool us, but there's no reason to think that because they've proven the fact that they have the technology to, to fire missiles into space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's no reason, you know, we, we didn't come to any sort of agreements or anything else with them, better or for worse. Right. So there'd be no, there'd be no reason to think they haven't continued to go forward. Yeah. Uh, love letters aside, so yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, like I said, not not that I would have known how you know how better to deal with the situation. Right. You know, the person who probably messed this up goes back to you know maybe first Bush. I'm not sure. You know, who could have stopped it at what point? But yeah. like I said, you know, President Trump joins a, a an exclusive crowd of previous presidents who have failed to this this area. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there are so many threats to world peace, to, to the world itself, to the globe. Uh, North Korea, of course, represents one of those threats, but just think about cyber war and all the things that could be happening. Uh, what, if you add them up, it's pretty, it's pretty scary, pretty scary world. No, absolutely. But, you know, we always have to keep in mind two things when we try to balance what the world is like today and the world, you know, and previously, I mean, A, you know, we forget about the Cold War when we were worried that we might be annihilated at any given moment. I mean, uh, I was young, but I'm sure some of your listeners remember, and you're a little bit older than me, remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, I also remember it. I mean, I was hey, old enough to know that something I, was really wrong going on. Yeah, I remember the sirens going off and at school getting under my desk <laughs> as if that right. would per- protect you from a yes, nuclear blast. It really blast. helped us in a big way. <laughs> like going, you know, I, I certainly remember going to the basement doing a uh, you know, bomb shelter drill. Right. Uh, so... You know, we forget that there were those periods, and then you can look at it a different way. Look at the period before World War II, as the world was, you know, catapulting slowly but surely towards towards war. Um, America thought it would get involved, but of course there was no, tr- you know, there was no choice. The war came to America, whether we wanted it or not. So, you know, yes, things are really scary at the moment. They've been scary in the past. Um, at the moment, that you know, because of COVID. They've reached a level of scariness that maybe we haven't seen in a long time or ever because it's right. like this additional factor that we have even less control over. Well, uh, I so. mean, I think just humanity is just irritable at this point. <laughs> Everybody is in some sort of a light down. And by the way, I want our listeners to point out, point out that you're in uh, Tel Aviv right now and have been there, I'm guessing, for a couple of months now. So, um, right. okay, can you give us an update? What's happening? I, I understand that Israel's pretty much uh, had the spiraling out of control. It's just had a lockdown now for three weeks, total lockdown, because the numbers were getting totally out of control. We had the highest numbers of new cases per um, per million of any country in the world at, at the po- point we went into a lockdown. Um, they're talking about pulling out of starting pulling out of it next Sunday or Monday. Not making the mistake they made last time. We went through this before, and then last time, basically, within a week, everything was open again. And this time, they're talking about doing it slowly, starting with kindergartners and businesses that have 10 people or less who don't um, don't accept uh, the public and moving slowly that way. But, of course, a lot of businesses are threatening to open anyway because they can't make it, and they're not getting sufficient government help at this point. Yeah. So it's unclear. Um, there, you know, the good thing is there is no politicization around masks. Everyone wears masks. I mean, some people don't because they're just, you know, lazy or they forget it or they just don't want to. But there is no, there's no politics or anything else surrounding the issue of masks, which is a good thing. Yeah. And uh, there's no real politics relating to the whole public health issue, 
generally, I mean, you know, again, there's issues, stronger measures, less measures, but it's not, it's not really tied to the political system in the way that it's become in the United States. So, I have a good so, point of question, uh, how are the hospitals doing? Are, are people being... Hist- the hospitals were at the edge of, of being overrun, but they've stayed at the edge. The army basically op- took over one of the... Not took over one of the hospitals, but one of the hospitals in the country, one of the largest ones, has a whole underground system that they set up. It's the one up in North and Haifa, which is near the Le- nearest the Lebanese border, and they have a whole underground hospital because in case things got bad during a war with... Hmm. with uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. So what's happened is the army has taken up that whole underground part of that hospital and is now handling COVID cases. The first time the Israeli army has treated civilians ever in the history of, of Israel, actually. So I saw a statistic um, that uh, there are about 70,000 cases of COVID-19 in our universities and, and uh, upper you know, uh, education and, and uh, about three hospitalizations so far, which indicates to me that it's contagious, but not necessarily deadly or crippling. So, uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, there have been cases here of, of young people getting it and being in the hospital. I don't, I wouldn't go with Three hospitalizations out of seventy thousand, maybe, maybe three deaths, or three very seriously ill. Look, clearly, we've seen cons- consistently that the that the younger you are, the less chance you have of getting seriously ill. Mm-hmm. At least, as far as we know. Again, we the one big problem with COVID is what we don't know, mm-hmm. and we still don't know all of the potential long term impacts because we've seen many cases of people with neurological issues with. Uh, breathing issues, even after they've no longer sick or theoretically no longer sick, mm-hmm. some the symptoms like that last for a long, long time. The other real problem that I think we all are, uh, are really worried about is it's now quite clear that you can get it a second time. Yeah, and that's really problematic because is- if you don't gain immunity from from getting it once, then it's it, you know the whole whole idea of herd immunity, all those other ideas don't work if if you don't get immunity. And, and what's so, the what's the instance of uh, getting it twice? I'm, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, there's quite a number of instances at this point in the world. I know the first absolute case was was in Israel this past week of a 22 year old. Um, I know the head of the ICU in Montefiore, when Montefiore is in the Bronx in New York, and he was recently interviewed. I read the interview, and there, you know, the Bronx, New York, was the epicenter of, of the first outbreak of COVID more than anything else, because they were also bringing people from, from Westchester. It's the largest hospital in, in northern Bronx, which is northern New York City. And he specifically talked about the number of cases that he's seen second time around and the number of deaths he's seen amongst people who've gotten a second time. Interesting. So that's very disturbing. It is indeed. Well, uh-huh. to, your, to your point, it's what we don't know that's... Uh Right, scary. that's the whole problem here is, you know, we have a disease that is less than a year old that we don't know anything about long-term effects. We don't know, we're not even sure, you know, does it, has, has it mutated in any which way? There, there's so many things we don't know, Yeah, and that's what makes it so so problematic, let's put it that way, so scary in many ways. All right, Mark, well, we have so many other things to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of the policies is creating policies and programs to get people off of welfare and back to work. I proudly serve on their board, and I hope you'll check out their website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Right now, we're going to continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's pick up with what's happening. This is a new uh, situation in Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, I think. I, I, I myself am not sure how to pronounce it. I haven't met too many people from there, so I've never had a they're embarrassed just, that I can't there's only, the There's only name. one valve in the, in the world. <laughs> Very difficult. It's a, it's a former part of the Soviet Union, one of the breakaway in South Asia. Yeah. Uh, they had an election, but the election was clearly a fraud, so there was massive demonstrations in the streets and everything else like that. And finally, the, the person who in charge, the dictator, agreed to resign. Uh, but then there was fighting who was going to take over, what was going to happen. And this is the twist of the story that makes this, almost, I, whether it's humorous, sad, I can't figure that out. The person who is the now new president of the country was in jail until three days ago, convicted five years ago of kidnapping a governor. Oh. <laughs> and 
he is now the president. It seems his gangs are the strongest ones in the street, and he's now the president of Kyrgyzstan. See, so, uh, so, this is just uh, a great object lesson with, with what you end up with when, when you don't have the rule of law. And, you know, we're so fortunate here to have a constitution and to have, you know, a, a limitation it, it, on it, how it's much... Not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the constitution that, we're fo- we, that we are fortunate. I mean, it's, we're fortunate of the constitution, but a lot of countries have constitutions. As a matter of fact... A friend of mine described how, in his law classes, he was shown two constitu- they were shown two constitutions, weren't given the na- weren't told, you know, which what countries they were, and one of them was a Soviet Union's con- constitution. They were asked to say which one provides the most human rights and liberty, you know, guarantee of liberty. It was the Soviet one. It's really a question of how you enforce it to some extent. Yeah, great point. The United States has great point, but you United have, you have, has the, is an, a, you have division of power. Yeah, right. Our constitution. Yeah, and you have limitations of power. More importantly than divisions of power, you have limitations of power. That's right. You have limitations of the power of Congress, limitations of the power of the presidency, and limitations of the power of the Cong- of the courts. And they try to balance the three of them over, out. And generally speaking, it's worked for two hundred and something years. Every once in a while, it's broken down, obviously. Yeah. But here you have just an insanity. I mean, a kidnapper is now the leader of the country. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm speechless to some extent. I'm not sure what it tells us about about where the world is going, but probably not in good things. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's a mob rule. I mean, it's a, literally, right. uh, you know, the rule of law is kind of kind of centrist type of position. On the far left, you have anarchists, and on the far right, you end up uh, having uh, you know mob rule. You end up having uh, what you have in Afghanistan. Delicious. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. They're, that's where they are. They're in that position of uh, law of law. Well, I mean, look, one of the problems, is, you know, look, one of the biggest problems in the United States in the last 20 years somewhere is, is the failure of the center, is that too much of politics in America has um, become radicalized on both sides of the, on both spectrums. Part of that has to do with social media. Uh, part of that has to do with the fact that none of us get our, our news from... Uh, from Walter Cronkite or Huntley Brinkley, you know, the, the national news that all of us used to get our news from um, 50, 40 years ago, we all received the same news every night. Right. Then we could argue about what it meant, right. but we accepted the fact that the news that we got, this was the news, and so you were seeing the same news that I was seeing, and therefore we could argue, well, is this policy right, is that policy right, but we started with the same premise in the whole country. And what's happened over the last, 20 years, 30 years, you can then, you can define it, and then it's gotten to warp speed thanks to Facebook and social media, is we have our own media outlets. Um, now, we had that, you know, looking at historically, we had that in the turn of the century, you know. Remember the term yellow journalism? Absolutely. The, the, the movement to, to get, uh, to go to war with uh, the Spains over Cuba. That was a, those were journalism that was based on uh, opinions. But the difference was, it was a newspaper. It only reached a certain number of people. Right. So, I mean... And now... I don't know if you, if you remember the movie Network, but it was prophetic in the sense that, uh, you know, what it demonstrated is how the news industry was going from being a public service to being a profit center. And that's exactly what's happened right now. So the, it, we're, we've uh, lost objectives. Most news just uh, starts off with a premise or some sort of opinion. Uh, uh, well, even could... it's, it's worse than that, though, because it's not even a question of the opinion. The news is designed at this point to, 
with the goal of keeping you watching as long as possible, or if you're a Facebook, keeping you on the page or right. within Facebook and clicking as much as possible. Right. So usually the more outrageous it is, the more likely you are to stick around and want to learn more. Right. So that ends up pushing all of us towards extreme views because, oh, you like this view? Well, let me give you some more of the view and some more of the view and some more of the view. And those tend to be, as each incremental part of it, it tends to be just a little bit more extreme. Well, and in addition to that, it not the clicks actually go to the stories that are not critical to this to uh, what's happening in the world. They oftentimes take us to a place that really don't matter in, <laughs> in a lot of cases. Right, absolutely. We become experts in things that don't matter, or, or we or we know information that's just false because there's no one is. Look, you can argue about mainstream journalism all you want, but generally speaking there are certain rules in journalism that they try at least to keep to the facts, you know, basic facts. Once we've gotten to all these areas of, uh, of opinions and opinions and, you know, and opinions and, and facts start to, to mix and match, yeah. as, as Vice President Pence said in his debate, quoting Senator Moynihan, you're entitled to your own views, but not your own facts. Right. Well, unfortunately, too many of us in too many different areas are playing with someone with, with opinions that are really and claim their facts. Absolutely. I mean, uh, really this uh, Chris Coons, senator from Delaware, said, you know what, what trying to con- confirm uh, Barrett, Judge Barrett, is court packing. <laughs> he, he honestly said that. He really said that. I'm, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. Hey, so let's, let's, let's move to Hong Kong because there's some important stuff going on there. Yeah, terrible stuff going on in Hong Kong there. A uh, group of people who helped some of the dissidents escape have been arrested. Uh, civil servants now are required to swear allegiance to the new uh, laws that, main, that limit civil liberties and expression. Uh, Hong Kong is gone, I think, from as far as we can think about it as a, as a, as a separate entity where freedom of speech existed. Right. Those, are, those things are all gone completely, and we have to accept, that, and accept it. We don't have to accept it, but that's the reality. Well, the you know, to your point, going back to North Korea, I mean, this is the canary in the coal mine. This is the intent, I think, of the uh, Communist Party in China. Uh, you know, you can see this kind of aggression of what's going on. It's, you know, being a bully in the world. I think that's going to continue. Right. I mean, I... I, I, I I think we make a mistake when we talk about the Communist Party in China, because they're not communists. You know, whatever they are, they're not communists. Okay. okay. The, the ruling party. What? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because they do have some form of. Uh, they, they, they have. They have capitalism. It's a capitalist country. I'm sure all the members of the of the Politburo, whatever they call themselves, all have shares in various companies. They're not communists. Absolutely. They're the ruling party in China, the Chinese ruling party. And I think All right. Well, they're, they're, then they're the bullies. They're, uh, they're right. Absolutely the bullies. No, no question about that. But I think we need, to, we need to understand that because when we say the communist party in China, it almost seems like, well, it's the communist party. Maybe it'll fall next week. Okay. Good point. Good point. And, uh, because really what they are is they are a mob and <laughs> their intent is to take over the world. That's pretty clear. So we have well, to... Chinese. Right, China has has had the global ambitions for a while, and the current ruling party is doing a good job from their perspective of expanding that. Absolutely, and that's been their goal for the last twenty years. You know, the Silk Road, um, all their investments in Africa, and all the things they've been doing have all been designed to expand Chinese um, power. And as the United States has receded a little bit, they're filling the void. Wherever we recede, they fill it in. That's we pull out of an organization, they give it more money and take it over more. Right. Um, they, so we need a long-term strategy of what we, you know. You know, look, let's let's stop for two seconds. We had this discussion before the last election four years ago. Uh-huh. 
what America needs is discussion of where it wants to be in the world, what its role sh- should be. And a frank and open discussion that talks about that, talks about whether we're willing to make sacrifices or not to be the, as Reagan said, or as um, Governor Winthrop of the Boston, Massachusetts colony said, do we want to be the, you know, that, that shining beacon on the hill? Uh, how we described Boston initially, but how Reagan described the United States. Yeah, we want I that. don't think there's we any want, question. We want to be that. I think the question is what... what but, are, but are we willing to pay the price? Or the foreign, foreign the entanglements is what you're referring to. Do we ha- want to have foreign entanglements uh, beyond uh, protecting our own borders and our own people? That's the question, really. Right. Well, that's part of it. That's paying the price. Yeah. You, can't, you can't be that shining hill on the, light on the hill if you're not willing to defend democracy in other places in the world. So, Mark, we so, have just a couple. Again, it, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I was going to say there's just a couple other things I just want to get an update on. And this is such a fascinating conversation because, in a sense, what we're talking about these things, these things that we're talking about, are object lessons, aren't they, for for what's going on in the world in terms of how we think about our own lives and our own existence? Absolutely. Yeah. And we need. To, we don't. We don't have that in in depth discussion at all, which is really a, too bad. And then. I'm, you know, I've, I've been successively sad over the years about that. We've discussed it over the years, yeah. the fact that we don't have that in-depth discussion. Well, you and I are starting the discussions anyhow, <laughs> Mark. Hey, can, before, before I let you go, can you give us a quick update on Belarus? Right, so the, the, the demonstrations continue, the arrests continue. The Belarusian people refuse to say, to accept the fact that they're going to be arrested and stop the protests. Um, Whenever they think they've not stopped the protests, more protesters come come about. The protests, interesting enough, are being led more by women than anyone else in the country, uh-huh. which is an interesting role of also for a very male-dominated country and, and culture. So we'll see where that brings. But um, they're not giving up the Belarusian people. They don't want to be ruled by a dictator forever. Well, you know, in the end... Uh, people are ruled by. You know, people will not, you know, tolerate uh, totalitarianism. Where they won't tolerate bad government. Inevitably, the people will stand up and fight, and uh, we've seen that time and time again. Mark Schulman, again, the publisher, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you'll check out HistoryCentral.com. Great, uh, uh, great uh, resource for history. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jack Wirt. He's the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. 
imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and soon bringing you a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. Uh, GulfShorePlayhouse.org is the website. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, Jack. So, you know, you're right at the epicenter of things that really matter here on the Paradise Coast. And, of course, tourism and conventions uh, are just critical to what's going on. So can you, can you give us an update on what's happening on the Paradise Coast? Sure. Uh, as uh, we've seen throughout our community, uh, uh, Businesses still continue to, to struggle because we don't have the level of visitors that we might normally have this time of year. Um, occupancy in our uh, hotels and, and motels are, uh, are running a good deal behind where we would have been last year. Um, just uh, just a little under 40%, and we should be uh, in the 50s this time of year and, and, mm-hmm. and were a year ago. One little bright spot is that the um, the, the average daily rate uh, in those uh, accommodations is really above where it was last year. Not by much, but just about the same that uh, as we were last year, and so that's helping our uh, revenue a little bit, and it, it uh, is reflected. In the businesses that, that we're hearing from, uh, we're starting to see more and more of our seasonal residents come back. Uh, they're coming back a little early, uh, and uh, that's a good thing for our economy to see. The one thing, or actually two things, that, that are really holding us back, number one, the international market, which um, begins to, to start kicking in uh, a little bit in this late part of the, the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, of course, after the, the first of the year, has virtually been a non-existent. I mean, without flights coming from Europe uh, and Latin America, we, we certainly are not seeing uh, those visitors who we love to have because they seem to 
spend uh, a little more than uh, domestic travelers and stay a little longer. And finally, and you mentioned it right at the top of the show, and that is that uh, the meetings market is is definitely off. Uh, group meetings has been off really since March, and we don't really see that coming back until uh, um, maybe a latter part of the first, and certainly into the second quarter of next year. So. Uh, we're uh, we're doing everything we can to encourage people to to get back uh, to our uh, beautiful Paradise Coast, but uh, it's going to take some time and yeah. some patience. Well, you know, uh, I had a guest uh, on my show from Israel. He was in Tel Aviv, and the, you know, there's been another uh, spread increase in the level of COVID nineteen. It looks like uh, right now, even with school starting, that we're seeing the number of cases go down. Uh, is that something you can promote? Um, Yes, it is, and we do it through um, the safety message that uh, that the number of cases uh, are going down. Uh, Our restaurants and hotels and and other businesses are are, uh, actively following uh, the safety guidelines that have been put out by CDC and Florida Department of Health, Uh. Uh, and and, and that helps. uh, We've talked before about our Paradise Pledge that uh, we're asking our Businesses uh, to to take the pledge. We've got about a hundred of our visitors, or excuse me, our, our uh, visitor type businesses uh, taking that pledge, and we're actually um, in the midst of a, a local campaign now to to really be a local hero and get out and eat in those restaurants and yeah. shop locally, so that we can get people back to work. And that's the thing that uh, I think is holding us back the most is. Less visitors means less jobs. Uh, we need to turn that to, around and turn it around quickly. Absolutely. Well, you're right. I mean, we're, it, you mentioned tr- uh, tour- tourism and coming from South America. Well, if the airlines don't see increased business, they're going to start cutting routes. And, uh, you know, it could, this whole thing could snowball. We really need another stimulus package uh, from, from the Congress in order to uh, keep the economy propped up until things get back to, back to normal. Absolutely, and that that sure has been uh, a decided disappointment. We certainly are in touch with our uh, local delegation in Washington, encouraging them to to look for that stimulus uh, package. Uh, small businesses need it so much, and uh, uh, without it, I'm afraid we're going to see some more um, business uh, closures yeah. and, and and more. Uh, People without jobs. It's just a, a tragic situation that uh, we can't seem to get that uh, that stimulus package uh, in place. It worked earlier when we had the, that money coming in. Mm-hmm. We're still going to do our part here in Collier County. We've got uh, uh, some additional CARES Act funding that uh, we hadn't allocated in that first round, so we're opening that up again. Oh, great. And uh, we're hoping we can help more and more people here locally. Yeah, well, uh, I heard that theater attendance is down about 81% uh, from this yeah. time last year. It's just affecting so many businesses in such a bad way. And another uh, piece of good news is I did read that there's a, a increase in the number of startups of new businesses that are starting right now. So uh, that's a bright spot. Yes, it certainly is. And I, I think this is the opportunity uh, time for people uh, uh, to, to think about that. If, uh, it, if some businesses have failed, there will be uh, businesses that will take their place. Right. We certainly see that in the restaurant business, and, and so maybe that 
that will help a little bit. Um, and they're, they're, American ingenuity will certainly uh, win out eventually. That, that right. we'll find entrepreneurs to take a chance and, uh, and and really get this economy back humming again. Absolutely. One important part of our uh business down here is a sports tourism uh, pickleball national pickleball championships and so forth is i guess that's probably pretty much stalled down until things get back to normal yeah it, it, unfortunately that's true uh, the pickleball event in april is still on and uh, we, we hope to see that uh, registration open soon our amateur sports complex uh, it, as we've talked before that first phase is open they are busy every weekend uh, with, with events. Most of them are smaller than they would be uh, perhaps this time of year, but they are more regional. Um, we got a lot of local teams that are getting an opportunity to, uh, to get some competition in this time of year. Oh, of course, uh, just keeping with the social distancing and all that, and, and of course, in, in Athletic events, that's not easy to do, but uh, so far we've really got a good track record. We had a, we had a really good uh, soccer event this past weekend that used several of our facilities in the, in the area, so we could social distance people. So I think that that's a good sign, and we do think that sports, uh, especially amateur sports, will kind of lead the way to people coming back to the Paradise Coast. Well, thank you for that, Jack. And uh, I didn't have a chance to get so much time with you uh, off-air uh but is there any other topic that you wanted to mention to us, or are we done? Well, I think uh, that, that really takes care of it. Uh, we're really pleased that uh, we've been able to get this local message uh, into the marketplace. You know, we really haven't done a local uh, um, uh, tourism message in the past, but I think it's the right time and the right message to, to encourage people to, uh, to get off the couch, get out in the economy, um, keep social distancing uh, in mind and uh, uh, face coverings where, where it does look like you can't social distance. All of those things, I think, are reasons to, to get out and, uh, and support our community, support our neighbors and our friends, because those are the people that, are unfortunately, many of them have lost their, their employment. Yeah, well, uh, let me pile on here, because the other thing, too, is we, we've been out uh, several times. We've got a couple of times a week now at local restaurants. And I will say this, it's, it's, it, it buoys the human spirit. I mean, it's, it's human. It's something that we need to do. And if we stay cloistered and uh, uh, separated from people, it's just not healthy, in my view. So, you know, we should do it not only for the businesses, but do it for ourselves. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Jack Ward, again, Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Always appreciate your update. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the, uh, let's see if I can find my cursor, on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you 
have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. That's just one of the great initiatives at the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Just looking at the TV, it says that the Biden's up nationally from likely voters by about 12 percentage points. Again, I just come back. There's just no evidence that people actually support Joe Biden. What I see, I see signs all over for Trump and Pence. I don't see any signs for Biden and Harris. I see a few, but not many. People aren't showing up for events against yesterday. Just nobody showed up in Phoenix, Arizona for the president and the vice president, both there at an event uh, location, and no one showed up. So I just don't believe the polls. I don't believe what I'm seeing. I see so many people. It's a, the support for President Trump is palpable. And yet, I guess uh, those people who do, will vote against Trump will vote just because they don't like him and not understand the impact it would have if, in fact, President Biden became a reality we would end up with as a socialist country again he reached from the teleprompter but i don't think he truly understands the change that he would bring about if in fact he were elected president so we have to do what we can in order to uh in order to make sure that the president gets elected uh, just my view well charges against 90 percent of the protesters arrested during anti-police riots in september were dropped according to breitbart those charges included attempted murder. Listen to this. Attempted murder, arson, assault. Meanwhile, only 19 of the 213 arrested this month are still pending as cases. Joseph Seip is uh, wanted, to, uh, wanted for throwing a Molotov cocktail at police officers. On September the 23rd, he was arrested on charges of attempted murder, attempted assault, arson, possession of a destructive device, and rioting. He was released after posting bond. Then all of those charges were later dismissed. Portland prosecutors also dismissed over 70% of arrests since May, according to the Monomath County District Attorney's Office. The figure is worsened by reports from the Oregonian that more cases have been dismissed than those shown on the tracker. In fact, Monomath County, uh, the district attorney, Mike Schmidt, dismissed most of the charges associated with the protests. Now, what do you want to bet that Mike Schmidt uh, is one of the guys that was supported by Soros? 
he uh, you know, obviously is not supporting the rule of law. He's dismissing cases, and what happens? These people go out and commit more crimes, as we learned, saw with this Joseph Sipe that's uh, throwing Molotov cocktails at police officers. This is just this is just a total absurdity, and these are pockets. We're seeing that now this happening in Wisconsin, and we're seeing it continuing in Portland. And why? Well, because the police have been told to to reduce their uh, assault on on the crimes that are being committed. Uh, we're seeing the district attorney not make, enforcing the rule of law, so people just connect. You know, they go and they'll continue doing what they do until somebody wants to stop it. And how do you stop it? Well, you stop it by respecting the police, allowing them to, to, to enforce the rule of law, and making sure the district attorneys uh, c- convict and uh, charge and convict people for the crimes they're committing. And uh, this is these are just pockets of what's going on right now. My fear is that if, in fact, Biden were elected, I don't think he wants this, but I think as he's so vacuous that he's uh, stuck to the teleprompter. He's simply trying to win as a conservative or as a uh, uh, centrist uh, Democrat. But in fact, he's a, a, sh- a wolf in sheep's clothing. People, I think, want to see uh, if if he's elected, it's going to be the people in the party that are pulling it so far left that are going to be, end up running our country. Got to support uh, President Donald Trump. And this is just another reason why. Well, the U.S. Department of Justice sued Yale University, accusing the Ivy League school of illegally discriminating against Asian and white applicants in undergraduate admissions. The lawsuit escalates the Trump administration's push against affirmative action in admissions to elite uh, universities after it publicly supported a lawsuit by Asian American students against accusing Harvard University of discriminating against them. The Justice Department said Asian American and white applicants were typically one-eighth to one-fourth as likely to win admission to Yale as similarly qualified black applicants. In a complaint filed in the federal court in New Haven, where Yale is based, the Justice Department said Yale's practices violate Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yale must comply with the law to receive federal funding, and the government said it includes more than $630 million annually from the Department of Health and Human Services alone. Can you believe that? Applicants must be judged by their character, talents, and achievements, and not by the color of their skin, said Eric Dremond an assistant attorney general for civil rights, to do otherwise is to permit our institutions to foster stereotypes, bitterness, and division. Thursday's uh, uh, lawsuit followed a two-year investigation of Yale's practices. And again, Yale's not the only uh, Ivy League school. Harvard is also being charged as well. And isn't isn't this kind of funny how the world is turned upside down right now? It used to be uh, advocating for blacks getting into school, but right now we're finding out there's civil rights violations against whites and Asians. And by the way, this is important. Joe Biden is now the subject of an active federal criminal investigation in his role in the uh, probe against directed at Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. Joe Biden was in a January 5th, 5th, 2017 secret Oval Office meeting discussing General Flynn's phone calls with Russian Ambassador Kislyak with Obama, Yates, Comey, Rice, and Brennan. And seven days later, he sought to unmask Flynn. Then Vice President Joe Biden sought to unmask General Flynn on January the 12th, 2017, the same day David Ignatius published his Washington Post article about Flynn's communications with uh, Kislyak. A criminal investigation into Biden also includes his active activities in the Ukraine. 
Uh, Ukrainian witnesses are cooperating, said Paul Sperry. House investigators on Tuesday joined the Senate in asking the FBI to look into Biden's criminal history. The question is, when will all this break? Will it, will, will it be, become public? President Trump expressed his disappointment that Barr is not uh, she, or demonstrating, uh, is not coming forth with charges yet. I guess he's deciding, or people are claiming that he's deciding to wait until after uh, the presidential election. President Trump's disappointed in that. Again, getting back to the rule of law, there has to be consequences. Otherwise, people like Hillary Clinton continue to do what they've done in the past. And now, apparently, all these emails are going to come out. I heard it's uh, pretty pretty disgusting what she, what she had in those emails. That's so interesting. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, Kathleen Pasadoma will be joining us uh, tomorrow, our state senator, Larry Reed is a president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Seton Motley uh, will be joining us. Uh, he's the founder and president of Less Government. And Boo Mortensen will be with us as well. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you uh, would like to send me a message of any sort, you can send it to bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you'd like to get on the distribution of the daily newsletter after each show, again, just let me know at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>